What's your instructional coaching personality type? Have you ever wondered what superpowers make you a really strong coach and what areas you could strengthen a little with a little direction? Well, now you can find out. I created the What's Your Instructional Coaching Personality Type quiz to help you answer this very question. Just head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash quiz with a capital Q to take the two-minute quiz and get your coaching personality type sent right to your inbox. Even better, you'll get a playlist of podcast episodes that are handpicked just for you to help you hone your superpowers and strengthen your areas of growth. I'm so excited to share this quiz with you, so don't wait. Go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash quiz with a capital Q and learn so much about your coaching self. Hey coach, are you new to coaching? Starting out as a coach can be incredibly overwhelming, especially when you aren't given much direction from your administration. That's why I created the new coaches playbook. It includes a roadmap to help you start building your coaching foundation and a guide to seven podcast episodes in order that will give you the steps and ideas you need to build relationships, define your role, communicate with your admin and make a plan to start coaching. Grab it today for free at buzzingwithmissb.com slash new coach and save yourself so much time and stress. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, and welcome to episode 157, Building a Coaching Culture When Admin Isn't Supportive. If you've been trying to figure out how to get your school to make big changes that better support kids, whether we're talking about shifts in strategies, methods, moving to integrate SEL, moving to integrate SOR, changing the way we teach math or science, or really any other thing, this series is for you. This month, we're looking at how to approach support and learning across your school. And the only way we can support all teachers and help them try new things is by building a coaching culture. Building a coaching culture is hard, even under the best of circumstances, but (laughs) newsflash, many of us don't work under the best of circumstances. In fact, many administrators actually undermine coaches. Now, I know They might not be doing it intentionally, but that is often what's happening. I know one admin who used to say, if they don't want to try it, I can't make them. And of course, we can't make a teacher try something new, but we can certainly create the conditions in which they'd want to try instead of giving up on this new thing without trying it. So what do we do when our admin isn't supporting the coaching work that would actually help our teachers grow? Today, my guest, Delia Racinus, is going to help us figure it out. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Racinus. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And it's nice to virtually meet you. Yes, you too. (laughs) Um, Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up here and what kind of work you focus on? Yes, sure. So my my first name is Delia. Uh, Anyone who knows me knows, just call me Delia. Um, The last name is Racinus. It's a mouthful. Um, I am originally from the Washington, D.C. area and uh, born and raised, and now I live here in Los Angeles. And I'd say how I ended up in the education field uh, was a complete accident. Um, I had a full career in criminology before I got into the education realm. And um, I worked with victims of crime. I worked for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So if you're familiar with um, 
John Walsh at all, or um, Adam, his son was Adam Walsh, and he created that yeah. National Center for Missing Kids. Code Adam. So he was yeah. my, yeah, he was my first boss. And wow. um, yes, and that, so that was what my career was really grounded in when I first uh, left college. I got my master's in criminology and um, worked to work for the Office for Victims of Crime. And then I worked in a prison in Venezuela. Um, and that's actually probably where I was introduced to the idea or the concept of teaching is working in a child care center in the prison, in the women's prison, um, with children whose parents had been, whose mother had been arrested. So the kids go to prison with the mom um, to not break that family bond. Wow. And so I know when I tell people that was my introduction to education, it's like, really? Um, <laughs> but it was. And um when I came back to the States, uh, I had, I was interviewing for another position in, uh, we call it the state. We, uh, that's how we refer to it. And during that background investigation is when I was uh, substitute teaching. And so that's where I met my very first mentor, who's still my mentor today. And he said, look, you have a real knack for teaching. And I was like, oh no, I'm not here to teach. <laughs> I'm here to, uh, I'm just waiting for my paperwork to go through and this is great. And he had said, um, okay, but you know, they really like you. And I had ended up in a classroom where it was, um, uh, an exchange teacher. It was, she was here from Hungary and she, uh, thought that she was coming here to teach English to English speakers, not English to, um, English learners. And she had told the kids that she didn't like them and that she didn't come to this country for that. And I was like, Whoa. Um, I was like, that was mean. Yes. And that, right in that moment, it just ignited this, like, who do you think you are in me? And that is really where my advocacy came from um, in that moment. And I was like, why are you talking to these kids like that? And um, of course, by no coincidence, there were, it was a class of English learners. I grew up as an English learner. Um, I'm Wanda Midorian. And uh, I don't know, that mama bear came out of me like, Really? And no wonder this this class is out of control. They're having the time of their lives. I thought it was hysterical. Uh, I was like, oh, these poor kids. Um, you know, fast forward, I switched to careers. I ended up uh, having a conversation with that principal. And he's, he asked me, you know, are you 100% happy with what you're doing? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I wanted to do, you know, you know, gut is, was, telling me I wanted to do something more proactive than reactive in the field that I was already in. And somehow that became it. And so I ended up teaching there for the next seven years, had the most amazing principal. And then um, I had a coach. Uh, so that was where I was introduced to coaching. She was amazing, but we had a small army of coaches there in that district. It was about 300 of us. And um, I became a coach and then I Further got my dissertation done in civil rights for English learners. Um, so I kept my legal lens on through education. And fast forward, moving to California, I got here uh, mainly because most of my research came out of California, all the Supreme Court cases for civil rights. Um, and there was no coaches here. I was like, where did they all go? I came from this huge army of coaches with a ton of support to nothing. And um, it was it was a harsh reality. And so I decided to build my own coaching army out here. And that's how I ended up in this consulting work of my own is uh, the need. There's there's a huge need in California. And um, 
And that's where I've continued coaching folks and building coaching programs out here in California. So long story short. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure there's a lot more to that story than what you just shared. (laughs) There is, there is, there's always so many different, you know, they always say hindsight's 2020 because my path is certainly not (laughs) at all, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's, it's been quite the journey and it's been, it's been a really great one. Yeah. How amazing. Um, so the first thing that I want to ask you is, you know, we really want to get into coaching culture. And so a lot of people haven't really even experienced a strong coaching culture at their schools. So mm-hmm. what does it look like when you have really built a coaching culture where, you know, it's actually functioning the way it's intended to function? Yeah. So I always say it looks, it looks like coherence versus conformity and it's palpable. I'd say it creates this environment that's positively palpable. And if you've experienced one or have been lucky enough to experience one, you know what that feels like. It's this high energy. Everyone's happy. And I'm so grateful that that was my first five years of teaching and having experienced it when I created a coaching program out here, I've also seen the journey of what it's not. I've been on the other end of it where it's not that So you know what it feels like when it actually can achieve that. And so I know it's possible. And on that granular level, it's really people speaking the same language. The terminology is consistent. Uh, You know what the coaching role is. You understand the research. And that's such the root of it. If you understand what a coach's purpose is, what they do, and how they can support, once that is in alignment, it's it's palpable. because it's not this us, them, it's this, we're all here for the same thing and that should be students. And so it's, it truly is palpable when you feel it in that high energy, it's contagious. Um, and it's a really, really great to be a part of because you're all working towards the same goal. So I'm really glad you brought up that common language. And I think that is so important and it's often overlooked. It takes mm-hmm. time to develop that. It really yes. does. Yes, it does. And that. I think there's, I think when you throw out the terminology of coaching, it's such a general, like, oh yeah, we know what coaching is, but it's very rarely defined, Mm -hmm. right? So it has to be, you know, what is the purpose of coaching? You know, what is that? And as redundant as that might sound, or, oh, I know what that is. It really has to be explicit. Mm -hmm. And so do the 10 rules of coaching or, you know, however your district designs the program or there is one. And what sometimes you find it, there isn't much of a structure because it's such a general term that everybody knows what coaching is, mm-hmm. but it's, but there's not. So that's where these misassumptions come in right from the get-go. So it is important to lay down that foundation. And even if you think um, it's, uh, you know, they don't need that, do it, do it anyways, and just be redundant then to make sure that all of that terminology is really clear. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Um, a lot of people are like, well, they've had a coach before or, well, I've worked with them for years. But if you don't define it, they are making up their own definitions and they may yes. be good ones and they may not be good ones. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I experienced both sides of that. And they're like, let's go back. Mm-hmm. Let's rewind. Yeah. <laughs> What's your understanding of coaching? And certainly when you hear that, um, what their understanding might be, it really tells you a lot. And if you don't start there, like, you know, what has been your experience with coaches, yes. that, that tells you a lot. So mm-hmm. 
Take place to start, I think. Yeah. Do you, what do you want teachers to know about coaches? Like as, as you're trying to establish this culture, if there's a strong coaching culture established, what do teachers know about coaches? Does that make sense? <laughs> to understand the mission of coaching, you know, like what is the purpose of coaching? We're here to help build capacity in teachers to do what? To improve student learning, to improve teaching and learning, right? We're not here to, we're not, it's not a fix it model. We're not life coaches. We're not therapists. You know, there's such a huge misunderstanding of what we do. And it's also really important to tell folks what we don't do. And that's, we're not evaluative, which I think is the beauty of coaching. Um, and we are performance driven. You know, we're working towards a goal. And what is that goal? And then we always, you know, if you're a, a fan of gym night, you know, if there's no goal, then there's going to be no measurable outcome with it. Right. So a lot of the components of a coaching program have to be pretty explicit too. the roles, the mission, what we're aligned to and what's our purpose. And then how do we know that it's effective? That's a big question when it comes to how you're being funded too, is how do you know you're being effective and how do you measure that? Mm-hmm. So all of those components are important to lay down that foundation of a really good, solid coaching culture and coaching role to establish yourself in whatever district you might be in. Yeah. Thank you for spelling all of that out. Um, As you're trying to establish all of that, what role does trust play in the culture? So uh, as soon as you sent that question over, I was like, everything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And of course, I'm as transparent as they come. The reason why it's such a close topic to me is my, my very first book was written about trust. And the reason I came out of the gate, I was asked to write a book actually in a different topic. And it was an immediate no, because trust is everything. To me personally, if you don't have trust, it, it really doesn't matter what you know, who you know, the research you have, nobody cares. You have to be trustworthy. You have, you have to be able to be trusted and also extend that trust in order for shift and practices to really happen, mm-hmm. the real kind, right? So um, I say when we when we talk about um what you really can see when during a coaching conversation, you can get someone, I think it's what Seidman says in terms of their inner voice and their outer voice. Like, what do you really hear? And whether it's really transparent, if someone's really being real with you and you can only get that if you, if you have full trust, if people trust you, then they're going to tell you, you know, my, my coach, I'm thankful. I can tell her anything. I know I can call her and tell her absolutely anything because I trust her. And I know that um, what I tell her is, you know, what happens in coaching conversations stays in them. Um, And so that's been established. And when you have that with a coach, it's everything. It's really everything to you. And you can build from that strong foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, The idea that it doesn't matter what you know, if teachers don't want to hear it from you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in terms of what the research says, you know, if there's high trust in your school, then the outcomes usually match it. Right. And if there's not, then the then the opposite is also true mm-hmm. and it's palpable too. So I also think that, you know, when you're in an environment where you can't trust someone and what that feels like, and it's also exhausting when you can't trust the mm-hmm. people that you're working with. And it can be um, you know, it can make it really challenging and it makes it for a place where you don't want to work, to be honest. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know, as you were saying, Matt, we always talk about trust that the teacher has to trust the coach. And I have not really thought about it in terms of the times that I have been sitting in a session with a teacher and I didn't feel like I could trust the teacher to, you know, and, and I just never really thought about that. But if it's part of the culture that we have a trusting relationship, then we should, I should be able to trust the teacher that I'm working with. And sometimes you don't feel that that's the case. Right. And and a lot of the times it's because there's so much history in that school that maybe we don't know about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really was my experience being a new coach going into a district that never had had a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, But the more I dug, the more I found out that, oh, they did actually have a coach years ago and nobody liked them and it was not effective. And so they thought it was a waste of space. And so I came to understand the reluctance in the behavior that I saw, but it had nothing to do with me. They've been through it, you know, and they were like, you can't imagine the things we've seen. And you know what? I wasn't there, so I didn't see it. So mm-hmm. I, I had to take the time to understand the history of people that had been there way longer than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, I get it. There's this mistrust here mm-hmm. in this entire school. And, you know, and so that you have to understand it where it comes from. And, and that takes a long time, like you said. It takes a while to really understand all of that, especially when you're new coming into a school, yes. super you know, positive and ready to go. And then you're like, what's going yeah. on here? Um, <laughs> what did I say yes to? Oh, no. Yes. Um, but it takes time and you have to trust yourself too and trust the research of coaching and go mm-hmm. slow to go fast is what I always say. Is just go slow to go fast. And there's a lot of validity in your own experience too. Mm-hmm. So you know, that don't let that self-imposter syndrome creep in on you and tell you you've done the wrong thing. So just stick with it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. When I was a new coach, I walked into a school that had had a coach before, but they didn't really, they were not coaching anything. They were just like doing data meetings and stuff. And then, and that was it. That was the extent of what they really did with teachers. I'm not really sure what they did all day, honestly, Um, because that person was still there and they'd been moved into a different position. And whenever I asked what they did, they just said data meetings. And the teachers were like, I don't know. So it was it was weird. And they, also they had had a previous administration that was very, um, there were lots of favorites. There were lots of people being punished. It was just very punitive. And so they were coming out of that environment with a new administrator, with a new coach, with several new leadership people. And it was a big, big challenge. Some people right away were like, oh, I can see that you are not, you're different and I'm excited to work with you. And some people it took a very long time to embrace. Yeah. And then people from other schools were like, what is this? Cause I did work that maybe was different than the coaches at their schools had done. So it was a, it was a big challenge and it does take time to build that culture. And not everybody always wants to be part of that culture. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's to be understood. Right. And you're like, okay, I understand. Yeah. I think when I asked that question of, now I'm thinking of the of that school where I joined and I, I asked like, so tell me about your coach that was here beforehand. Now that I know that you actually had one. And they were like, we hated her. We don't even know what she did. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I was thankful that they were transparent with me and told me how it was, but I was also like, okay, how do I get on that list? How do I stay <laughs> off of that list? <laughs> I was like, and that's how I knew like, you know what? Let's circle back. Like, what's <laughs> let's circle back here guys. And then, you know, I understood. And then it was fun fun and games after that, because it was game on. And then I I knew how to approach every team and they were so much funnier after that. But I tell you what, the first few weeks were brutal because I was like, 
But I, you know, listened, paid attention and observed a whole lot, especially in larger faculty meetings. And I was like, wow, these dynamics are awesome. So it was just a lot about paying attention of what those dynamics were and uh, understanding also the history of that district too. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and, and not being judgmental, but, you know, I think it's hard, you know, the, the human side of you is like, whoa, but then you have to go, okay, so why am I here? Right. Like stay grounded in the work. And it's, it's, you're constantly coaching yourself too. Like, yes. okay, you're here for a reason. Stick with, stick with the role. You know what you're doing. Keep going. Right. So it's a, it's a daily thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How can an administrator actually support building this culture effectively? Yes. I'd say having then become an assistant principal and a principal. Um, and I, I, you know, that, that is such a traditional trajectory, which I also don't believe in necessarily. Um, because I think there's a lot of different avenues that you can go into, um, depending on what your interests are, because I can tell you, I always say that because I come from such a, you know, corporate nonprofit world that, you know, I say game on for whatever it is where your heart's leading you to go with it. You don't have to follow this trajectory because I know a lot of folks are like, I'm not doing administration. And I certainly was actually one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so accidentally became an assistant principal and a principal too. But I think one of the things that always sticks with me is it's not about the role that you're in. It's about your goal. It's about the goal that you have. And that is impact. Like what impact are you trying to make and on whom? It really shouldn't be about like, what are you trying to do? It's what does the school need? And why are you in the position that you're in to be able to build that capacity and the people that are around you? And I always say, if you're like, if you're walking and no one's following, then you're just taking a walk by yourself, right? So don't walk alone. It's really important to make sure that they're with you, that your team is with you, and that you're all united, not only in that same vision and mission, but like, why are we all here? Why are we doing this work? Um, and and try to make those uh, decisions collectively. So I think administrators, it's it's hard to remember how hard teaching is. Teaching is so complex. And I think the, the further up you go, there's this, you know, there's this distance from that reality. Mm-hmm. So you have to stay grounded in that cycle of teaching, right? You're, you're teaching the assessment. It's constant. It's like never ending plus the parents and the grades and the whole nine. You cannot get far removed from what that looks like just because you're not in the actual classroom anymore. Mm-hmm. So in, in a five minute visit is not enough. It's just not. So you have to remember what it's like to be in the classroom when you're not in it anymore. And so that's, that's the first thing um, that came to mind in, in terms of that question. And um, administrators also need really clear systems in place. And as clear as it is when you're coming out of the pocket as a coach of like, what's your mission and values, you need to be able to do that as an administrator too. Who are you? One, why are you here? That's just as important because We've all been on the other side of meeting administrators who are just climbing the ladder, right? Yep. And you know that too. It's palpable yep. and you feel it and you're like, great. Like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yep. Great. Or how long are, how long are you here? I can wait you um, out. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, are the practices that you're implementing going to stick with you or are yep. they going to leave when you leave kind of thing? And so all of those things you have to be really cognizant of as an administrator that you're building systems for this school to stay there. So your job is to build the capacity to make sure that it stays with the school, no matter who is in and out of that position. And 
And so that should be really on your priority list of building the capacity in your school within the people that you have. Um, and compassionate transparency is something I talk about a lot. And that is, you know, teachers are adults, you know, be direct um, in a compassionate way, be transparent, like, come on, if there's something they need to know, please just tell them. Um, that was certainly my experience. I was a principal during COVID and I was like, great. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Um, but I was transparent. We're all going home. And it was like, what? <laughs> um, I wasn't going to hold any back information or anything that I knew that they needed to know because they're adults. Tell them, mm -hmm. tell teachers what they need to know and, and don't hold back information for the sake of, I know more information than you. I hated that as a teacher. So I, I promised myself I would never do that no matter what position I would be in. So mm -hmm. that's, that's really important um, to me. Yeah. I think the idea of having that vision so that everything that you do is supportive of that vision is great. And, and you're right. We do see so many administrators who are on the move. They are moving up. They're like, well, I'm the principal of an elementary school today. And maybe next year I'll be at the middle school. And then eventually I can be at central office. And you can see people who do want to do that. And, and that does create um, a dynamic of, well, we'll just wait out the guy until he leaves. And then, you know, we'll see who we get next. And so I'm going to close yeah. my door and do what I think is best for kids, which I, that's one of those phrases that I find super harmful um, because it gives people, it's not that you don't sometimes have to do that when bad things or bad policies are coming down, but it yeah. is, you know, harmful if that's the way you approach your whole career. <laughs> Cause then you're yeah. saying I have nothing to learn. I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, yeah. and I think that's really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think so it's important to, you know, remember uh, the complexity of teaching and I think it's important mm -hmm. for people to know who you are um, mm -hmm. when you're in when you're with them every single day of that you're there to support them and you want you want to mm -hmm. um, and as simple as that sounds it's just not like you actually want to help them mm -hmm. you know that yeah. you really want to help them period yeah. So what are some really unsupportive things that you have seen administrators do or that you know of that undermine coaching culture? So coaches are like actively trying to build trust and they're trying to build, you know, um, a collaborative learning and we all have these yeah. shared visions and they're trying to do all this stuff. And then a principal comes along and like completely undermines it. What is, what are they doing? That's really harmful. Oh man. Um, I love that question. Cause I was like, oh man, I lived it. It's a fun it. one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we all have seen things like that. Yeah. I lived it. Um, and, you know, I think number one, it's um, not supporting coaches and, and building their capacity to what whatever it is that they want to do. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be a principal or a principal. Like, what do they want? And, mm -hmm. and some folks, like myself, return to coaching because it's what they love. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's okay. Like, that's okay. Like, one of the things I hated was constantly being pushed to move up and move up. And I was like, ah, oh, this is so going against the grain of me. Like, I don't, I don't want that. Um, and so listening to the coach and listening to what they want, do you even know what their trajectory is? Do they have one? And if they don't, that's also okay. You can be a life coach and that's great. Like, let that be okay for who they are and what they want. But if you're not providing opportunities for them to lead, co-lead whatever that looks like for you um then you're not really maximizing their strengths that they're bringing to the table mm -hmm. um, because you're not giving them an opportunity to shine and so it really is your job as an administrator to showcase everyone's strengths really not just the coach but what about the rest of your teachers and your teaching staff we know that there's a massive amount of 
strengths in the classrooms that are just not maximized. Now, granted, yes, they have their own work to do and they're busy with their kids, but you also know that there's really strong teacher leaders in the classroom that have significantly more influence on the school than any of us do. And you're like, wow. So they're just natural leaders, right? And you can, they can whip up a whole school if they want to. And I love that because I'm like, they're just like natural leaders. So, you know, maximize that. If the, you know, if you have such strengths in your school, it's your job to be able to kind of showcase that. But I have seen some significantly unsupportive practices. I say one of the biggest ones for me was what I wrote about. And it comes from um, a guy named Tim McClure, who uh, he ended up, reviewing my book for me, I, I reached out to him because his quote is one that just kind of, you know, sparked that uh, moment in me. And it's the biggest concern for any organization should be when their most passionate people become quiet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, because you see it constantly, all, time and time again, is the most passionate people out there become quiet because they feel silenced, they don't feel included. Um, and they're not. I think I think the other misconception is when you invite people to be part of a, a leadership team or you invite people to be part of a committee, um, they don't feel included. Just because you're included doesn't necessarily mean you feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's such a huge disconnect that I've seen across the board that I, is just so important. And it's the reason I wrote that book is because there's there's ways that you have to really build trust um, intentionally. And it's not just, you know, inviting someone to be part of a committee in which maybe they're not even tapped into, but you're on the, but you're on the committee, right? But what about it? You know, what kind of role are you taking in there? And are you really listening to them? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Do they actually do anything? Or are you just letting them know what you were already going to do? Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> happens a lot. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts about, so I've seen it happen where like a coach is on a committee for let's say literacy and the literacy committee makes a decision about something for the school. And then individual teachers don't like the decision and they go to the, my favorite is when it happens when they were like, it was open invitation to join the committee and they just didn't. And then they, they go, they don't like the choice that was made by the committee and they go to the administrator and the administrator was like, well, don't worry about that. You just do what you need to do. And so then this decision has been made you know, in a, in a group setting, especially, it's not like a unilateral thing that the coach made up and, um, and the teachers are now told, don't worry about that. I think that is, um, I've seen it. I've also seen that too. And I think I, that comes from either fear or it comes from like not wanting to, you know, rattle people's cages. And I think yeah. it's, I think it's hard when folks get into a leadership position and don't know how to hold people accountable without being a jerk and you don't, and that's where that misconception comes from. I I was going to name my book, um, you know, don't be a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But there's, um, but I decided that like, it actually needs to sell and I need to like, you know, so I was like, let me rename, relabel that. Um, But there's ways to hold people accountable and and it, and it kind of stems itself back to, for us as coaches, like coaching heavy or coaching light, right? You don't, Coaching heavy doesn't mean you have to be assertive and mean and like, now you're doing this. That's not what it is. It's about holding folks accountable to showing, well, let's try it and see if it works. And then let's make a decision about it. Mm-hmm. And let's see, if, you know, if it doesn't work, then you're spot on. You're right. It was a terrible idea. But how are we going to make decisions? And we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. 
if we're yeah. not actually going to try something new and shift practice. So shoot the messenger, but let's try it first. Yeah. Let's try that. How long can we agree to do that before we're like, okay, it's out. And of course, there's been certain times when certain practices have been put in and you're like, why did we do that? And it's a collective, well, that was a terrible idea yeah. <laughs> versus it was your idea. And that's yeah. why decisions should be made collectively. Now, granted, that happens behind the scenes all the time, but it's really your job as the leader to say, we're going to try it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yes, I totally agree because then that diminishes any authority that any group has. Like, well, you don't make decisions for me. Well, then you just do whatever you want. Is that what you're telling yeah. me? You just do whatever you yeah. want, which is a problem, you know? And so we have coaches kind of in the middle and they have, I heard somebody, I did a webinar the other day about, um, about coaching and helping people embrace new learning and implement new ideas. And I said, what is it? What are you struggling with right now in this area? And one of the coaches said, I'm tired of leading from the middle. I'm mm-hmm. tired of it, which is because it is not, you don't have the same authority. You don't have the role of an administrator who says, look, this is what we're doing. You know, like you said, you can say clearly and firmly without being a jerk that this is what we're doing. And um, right. coaches have, yeah are kind of in the middle and they have to derive any authority from a different place, from relationships, from, you know, just collegiality and and decision-making in groups and things like that. And so we can hold people accountable, but it doesn't look like administrative accountability. It's a completely different thing. And it also makes me wonder, like, how is that decision made? You know, obviously not everyone was heard, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it speaks to how did you invite all voices to be heard then? Mm-hmm. And there's also this like whole bucket of research out there about people that are not extroverts. There's a ton of introverted yeah. teachers. It seems like counterintuitive to teaching, but it's not. Um, and, you know, how do you hear them then? Mm-hmm. And they might not want to go against the grain in a large collective setting. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them. So how do you then hear them and make sure that their voices are included in those larger decisions? And then voice it for them. Like, well, there's folks that say this, like, how do we feel about that? You know, and if so, if those, if those comments aren't being listened to, then of course, you're going to, you're going to get cornered into this, like, oh, well, you don't have to do it, but that's actually Mm -hmm. not leading. And so you do have to make those really difficult decisions and say, well, you know, we're going to try it. And I expect you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are times whenever it's impossible to come to a consensus, we have to decide what is it that we can Where's the wiggle room? Right. Where is not wiggle room? Like it's it's tricky. Right. Right. And then what's the like what's the purpose of shifting over this instructional strategy? Right. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing this? I mm-hmm. think all of those things that, and like I said, it's like sometimes like you have to be like redundant in that sense because there's assumptions made that everybody gets it, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe Absolutely. Not. Oh, and for sure. Circle back. I'm like, yeah. oh, why are we doing this again? Yeah. You totally. Know, what's the point. Um, so it's it is a lot of conversations that have to happen. And sometimes you don't have to make decisions in one day either, mm-hmm. right? So maybe we need to talk about this more mm-hmm. and, and that's okay too. So um, it's, it's, it's hard. It's not like it's easy work, right? So it's certainly lots of different conversations that I think have to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, another mm-hmm. thing that I've seen is coaches who are, they, so they can't get a definitive response from their admin about what their role is, or they have struggled with that, or maybe they haven't been brave enough to say, I don't feel like my role is clearly defined here and it's impacting my ability to do my work with teachers. And yeah. so then co- the admins sometimes 
undermines that by not defining the role or by sharing it in a way that is not super effective. Like this is the expert. Whenever they introduce coaches as the expert, which is what happened to me whenever I started out, and um, you, know, good, you know, good intentions from my admin, but I was introduced as the expert. And I think some people were like, great, another expert. That's what we need, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, wonderful. I can't wait to tap into her knowledge. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> right. I, exactly. Uh, I think that, that like how do you showcase that person's skills is so important. So I always say like, you have to have a conversation with your principal. And I remember going into a school that had never had a coach. And I asked that principal, like, can we meet like before school starts? And, and their response was, why? I'm like, oh man. Um, wow. But I had to be the person to ask for it. And, and then that's where I was just like, oh, I'm going to just whip through my mission, vision and values, like real quick. Like, this is what I, this is what my role is. This is what I do. And that person said, awesome. Can you okay. do that? I'm like, yes, yes, I can. Can I present that, please? That's uh, and that's how the conversation went. So I was like, yeah, I, can I can I tell the staff that? Yeah. Um, and they said, that's a great idea. I was like, great. <laughs> so sometimes you have to interject yourself knowing that we, we know what we should do as coaches. Um, and sometimes we don't. So it's we we're all on the same team to support one another and in, in how difficult it is depending on where you are. Yes. I totally agree. So some of these things are happening. What can a coach do to address them? A necessary conversation. I, I, I don't say crucial. I don't say complex. I don't say hard because I like to assume positive intentions and in going into these conversations, which is extremely difficult. And I say, but probably before that, call your coach first because every coach deserves to have one. So yes, first call your coach. And go, oh my gosh, I have to have this conversation. What do I do? You know, that's always so helpful. I still do it all the time. Um, then I breathe. <laughs> and I breathe and get myself together. And then I have a conversation and I and I ask them simply, you know, depending on what it is that's going on, you know, let's put it on the table. I'm I'm confused about A, B, and C, or you know, what do you see is this? It really, it really has to happen. And it's very difficult, I think. Um, and I've been in that situation where I'm like, great, I'm going to be the person who has to initiate this conversation because it's like crickets out here. Like if yeah. I hadn't had those conversations, what would I be doing? What would people be like, you know, what are people thinking I'm doing? Am I going to set that up for me? Cool. So I'm going to set that up by having this conversation with you. And it's a necessary one. It, it has to happen. There's really no, no way around it. You have to sit down. Even if it's a 10 minute conversation, fine, I'll take it. I, I need I need your time so that we could be on the same page before you move forward because if there's not at least that common understanding, then it's not gonna happen. And that's also when I remember asking their secretary, can you can you put me on that calendar at least, you know, once every month to start? Mm -hmm. Um and I remember that you want to meet every month? I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still going to be here next month and we might have some things to talk about. So yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I remember going, do I do that? And I remember, um, the secretary going, that's, that's pretty bold. They've never done that before. And I'm like, really? Oh God. But, um, I just remember going, well, you know, I have, I have to, because yeah. we have to make sure that we're on the same page of like what I'm supposed to be doing here, because that's really important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, as you, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how one of the things that I've seen that administrators do that set coaches up for failure, really, is they define them as a coach for only struggling teachers. 
Yeah. So it's part of yeah. that role conversation that you have, you have to really distinguish coaches support all learning. You mentioned every coach deserves the coach. Every team. Oh, that's actually my podcast. You know, the, the thing that I promote with my podcast is every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. And yeah. so I think that whenever we are set up in our role only to serve struggling teachers, then automatically that leaves a really bad taste in everybody's mouth. And yeah. nobody wants to work with you. Nobody wants to have to work with, nobody wants to be designated as the person who gets to work with you. And everybody's yes. afraid of you because, oh my God, if you come see me, then I'm a terrible teacher. You know? Yes. And I remember um, it was a principal after that one or somewhere in between that said to me, you're going to work with that person. Um, otherwise they're going to be fired. And wow. I was like, whoa. Um, and I was like, let's go back to that mission uh, and vision and purpose. It's not a fix it model. So actually, like, I don't do that. And it was like, you don't do that? I'm like, am I going to get fired for that? <laughs> <laughs> um, am I telling you what I'm not doing? This is weird. But uh, I had to be really clear in what I didn't do. Um, and that also came with some territory of like, I'm not a substitute teacher I'm not, it's not that I'm not a team player because that's not the, you know, story you want people to like, oh, well, they didn't help or they didn't want to, they right. don't sub, you know, it's the why behind it, especially as I was uh, funded as a title one instructional coach mm -hmm. and that mattered um, because, you know, my, my duties and my day-to-day -day responsibilities had to align with what that you know, funding entitled me to be able to do. So that, you know, that was a conversation too. And it was not that I didn't want to help or support. Of course I do. Um, however, that's also not my role. And this, these are actually what I do. Um, and I was, once people understood that, I was busy all day long because everybody needed help. Mm -hmm. It was either classroom management or data or reports or like, how do I have this IEP meeting or whatever it was that school needed a time of support and once they got comfortable knowing that they, they could trust me it worked beautifully and it was great and it wasn't don't sick me on people but had I not said no I I wonder what would have become of me because mm. um you know and doesn't mean I wasn't afraid of being like no I was like oh god <laughs> what are they gonna think um that I'm not a team player but that's just not the case I had to you know justify my role in that mm -hmm. sense. Um, without having anyone done that before, I was like, this could go either way. Right. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You know. It really could. That's an issue that like is a lot of the coaches that I used to work with um, at, at the schools that I was at, they are being used in all different ways. And there is only so much no that they can say based on their job description. Because the job description oh. that they sign with the district is like, you will do all of these things if needed. And that's just part of your job. So they can't push back on it too much because they will pull out that job description. And so then again, we I talked about on the podcast a couple months ago, how to track your coaching work, how to have a dialogue yeah. when you realize you're being used yeah. for a lot of things that are not impacting teacher and student learning. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it is tough in a lot of cases because it depends on what's spelled out on paper when you're hired, you know? Right. And, um, and yeah, especially, and then like when the pandemic happened, mm -hmm. it's like yeah. everything went up in the air and it uh -huh. was just, whoa, like, you know, everything changed, um, and the needs changed. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have to like step back and look at like the situation, but like now, um, 
post pandemic is also so difficult mm -hmm. and the needs are different too. So, you know, I always, we, we always, we say, we say like, let's look at those JDs. Let's look at those job descriptions. Do they really align with what we're doing right now? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's nothing wrong with editing some of those um, to really align themselves with what coaching is truly. If you're hiring a coach, I think that, you know, that's a whole other podcast episode, right? But right. <laughs> yeah, but, for um, sure. <laughs> but it's, um, it's worth thinking about. And, you know, if you, you do trust folks in your district, I think it's mm -hmm. worth asking, you know, mm -hmm. when's the last time those were revised? Um, and what are they based on? Because some, some job descriptions you pull and are like, for real? <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. And even, um, you know, they've, they've been in place forever. They just keep hiring and putting people in the same positions without any change. You know, I just read an article recently about assistant principals and the um, job description of an assistant principal hasn't changed since like 1982. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the role has changed since then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no kidding. That is, I was one whenever the job description was established then. <laughs> I was one year old. <laughs> that is right? wild. It, yeah. It makes me like, that's how long those have been in place. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a whole mm -hmm. other pocket of research right now. That's just, right. It is. It very much is. So always just thinking like, where did that come from? It makes a lot of sense because I spoke with um, Dr. Jan Hasbrook about defining roles and she was talking about how we don't usually have to explicitly define the role of the principal or the AP because, and the teacher, those three things, because pretty much everybody knows what they do. They know what their responsibilities are, but the role of the coach is so new and it's amorphous and it's used in different places in different ways. So we have to clearly define that role because if not, there's no establishing any coaching culture. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to do it. And then I always say, even if you feel super awkward doing it, mm -hmm. don't make that assumption. Don't, don't make that assumption that people right. don't appreciate it. I, when I did that presentation for that very first school, three people got up and clapped in the back. And then I remember asking someone going, was that like a good thing? And yeah. they were like, no, it was a great thing. I'm like, why? And then later I came to understand that there was not much explicit Mm -hmm. uh, directives or instructions or, you know, like, what's the plan? Like, what are we doing? Communication was not clear. Yeah. Usually. So I was like, what was that? And, you know, your first day up there on the stage, you're like, okay, uh, I guess that went well. <laughs> um, but then, you know, and it takes time because people are like, well, mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, go slow to go fast and, and stick with it and, and keep going and offer you're coaching and, and it, and it picked up over time. So even if it feels awkward at first, do it, mm -hmm. do it, be explicit and do what you have to do to pe for people to know and understand what coaches do. So you talked a little bit about like, so far defining your role, communicating that with your administrator, sharing it with teachers and, and introducing, you know, what kinds of supports you can provide. What are some other small steps that a coach can take on their own to build a coaching culture if they feel like they're not getting the support from admin, whether that's because admin is not um, super communicative or they are not sticking to any of the things that have been decided for all the reasons that teach that coaches have struggled with this. What can they do if they kind of feel like they're having to do it on their own? Um, I certainly did. And I say that is when you stick with your role. And if you have teachers that you're working with and teachers that understand the role, 
begin to showcase them, begin to showcase what it is that you're actually doing. Like, how are you coaching and what's the proof in the pudding out there and how is it improving student learning? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think once you start showcasing what you see, we what their advantage, our advantage is having that bird's eye view around the school. And that's what teachers don't see. They don't have the opportunity to see because they're teaching. It is your job to showcase what it is that you're actually doing behind the scenes during those periods when teachers are working with you as a coach. Like, what does that look like? And what are you actually working on? Like, how are you coaching them? And there's so many different avenues of coaching that, you know, across the one of the middle schools that I was a coach at, I would go from one side of the campus to the other, and it was completely different coaching roles. It was, you know, data over here, instructional strategies over here. This side was facilitation. This side was like a tech tool. You know, everybody needed something different. I'd go work with the music teacher because she was, it was her first year teaching, and she was definitely afraid of the parents and she had a big concert that night and it was just coaching her through like you're okay and she was like I'm not okay (laughs) um and you know it really just depended if people felt not like lack of confidence in doing something it really just depended so showcasing that like what are you doing um and finding a way to be able to do that whether it's a newsletter or however you share what you're working on i think that's really important because you can feel or seem very silenced if you're not sharing what you're doing yeah it's such a good point is being responsive to teacher needs and using that to frame how you're supporting people and then using that kind of work that you've done as leverage sort of to get into other places. Um, Teachers can also share about the work that you've done together. And I find that to be really meaningful, like during a PLC, if they say, oh, we've been working on this, this is something that we tried together. Um, Other teachers are more likely to receive that well because it comes from their colleague. Exactly. And I remember showcasing one of my my first grade teachers, and she um, she she had been doing a book talk, um, just a paper pencil. And I asked her, like, what's your comfort level with like a green screen? And she was like, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, okay. And then eventually she was just like, okay, so like, what's a green screen app? <laughs> like, so I was like, you want to try it? And um, we ended up, I ended up getting funds to paint this brick wall in the back of our school green. And uh, we got a grant and um, through Lowe's actually, and use those funds to set that up, up for her. And she became like the showcase of showcases of green screens. And she was like, I never thought this was possible. It was your 25 of her teaching, which I always say, you know, it goes against all research that says like veteran teachers don't want to do this. That's not true. Um, she loved it. And then the whole school knew that she was like the pro at green screens. And she was so proud. Um, she was just like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the green screen pro now. And, you know, she was in first grade. So I was just like, mm-hmm. like first graders could do it. So my eighth graders across the way, I was like, these first graders are crushing you guys um, at these productions that they were putting on. And it, it became fun. And it became like it, she oversaw like a skill set that she thought she didn't have that she was actually really good at. And I'm like, this is amazing. Um, So it's, you know, seeing that journey in someone and being able to celebrate that with an entire school uh, was fantastic. And um, I'll never forget it. And I'm sure her kids wouldn't either. So uh, I just, I enjoyed seeing someone like learn that they have the ability to do and learn whatever 
it's, and I'm there to, you know, just support them in doing like, what's her vision? Like, I don't, I don't know how you do this book talk in first grade. You tell me, what do you want the kids to be able to do? And then let me help you make that happen. And then she was on her own and she didn't need me anymore. But then it became about, you know, doing a collaborative learning visit and bringing other teachers mm-hmm. to come and see her do that. And that was awesome. And then building that capacity and who's, who's going to be the next awesome person. And what do they do? That's awesome. That can teach the rest of the school. So that's, that's the fun part of being a coach is learning everybody's strengths and understanding just how, what rock stars there are in the classroom and what they do, and then showcasing that, showcasing what they do for everyone else. And I'm like, this place is magic. It's just, you just didn't have anyone to showcase what was happening behind when your doors are closed. Mm-hmm, so, right. um, and then just fine tuning it, you know, if they want to fine tune it, improve it, or I don't, I don't like how it turned out or whatever. You work with them on that and, and being able to teach other teachers what that looks like behind the scenes. It's actually pretty fun. And then they get to understand what coaching really is. And um, it should be fun. That's that's the true work of a coach is trying to navigate all of those little granular things of like, I don't really know how this is going to work, but we're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to do it. And I'm going to do it with you. So I love it. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you have shared about coaching culture today. Um, and welcome. now I'm going to ask you my favorite question, which is what is your favorite thing right now? And so it can be anything <laughs> that you're loving, anything at all, a product, a, um, a movie, oh a TV show, anything. I am totally binging on everything right now. I am watching um, <laughs> the last thing he said right now. It's a book that was by Laura Dave, I believe. And um, Jennifer Gardner is starring in it right now. And it's so good. Uh, so I am binging on all things uh, Netflix and Apple TV right now. And um, I'm a big fan of Mel Robbins podcast. So I was listening to her the other day too about, you know, your health is your greatest wealth and how she's taking a walk intentionally every morning for 10 minutes in the sunlight. And it sounds so simple, but it's so not. So, you know, just taking care of yourself and binging TV. So I'm trying to balance both of those things, which are like my favorite things right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally get um trying to balance your favorite shows that you're excited about. And then um, also doing all the things that you need to do to be a healthy human being, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Like, oh, sunlight. Hello. Yes. Let me get up five, five minutes and, right. you know, stop working or, you know, whatever it is that we're so used to doing 24 seven. So right. like take breaks. So yes. definitely. All right. Awesome. Well, how can people find you online if they want to learn more? Yes. So I, it's weird seeing my face on Amazon now. So my very first book is out there and that's trust is the core of instructional leadership. And it's all about all the things we talked about today is how to really those five key trust building practices. Um, and I try to make that as practical as possible. I'm most uh, visible probably on Instagram. Um, it's at from insight to equity. Um, so if you listen in, you know, introduce yourself and, um, I love meeting educators around the globe and just hearing all the amazing work that everyone's doing to make a difference for students and teachers everywhere. So, um, you know, link up with me, uh, you know, follow me. Um, and certainly I'm excited and thanks for having me on today and getting to know a little bit more about your podcasts as well. And for all the work that we all do as coaches, we're all working on the same thing are all on the same team as far as I'm concerned working towards the same goal so all right awesome well thank you so much for being here today I'm sure coaches are going to walk away with some good stuff thank you thank you so much 
I just love how Delia came back to some of these foundational things that we can do and envision as coaches that'll really support our work with teachers, regardless of whether administration is helping us get there, because we know they don't always help us do this hard work of coaching. If you are trying to define that coaching role and figure out how to communicate it with your admin and your teachers, I have a free webinar for you that you will absolutely love. It's buzzingwithmissb.com slash webinar, and it's going to take you to the define your, your coaching role webinar. It's free. You can download it, watch it when you have time. I really have found that a lot of coaches, this foundational piece is what is missing in their coaching program. So I really want you to grab that webinar. Take a look at it, use the handout to make a plan and it will change your coaching work. I promise you it will. Next week in episode 158, we are continuing our work on school-wide approaches to support with a conversation about developing teacher leaders. And Delia talked a little bit about that today. I think it's such an important conversation to have. So we have to make sure we're considering our faculty as our best asset for learning and change. We're gonna learn how to use them effectively next week. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.